Maybe one or two seats if we haven't already. Um, that would be great. Uh, before we dive into today's session, I want to give a little announcement and some uh, just some comments to make about some things that we have been recently going through. Um, Mark will give you time for his story because there'll be a time to do this uh, shortly. Uh, but we, as a uh, leadership team, um, had an opportunity this past week to sit down with the congregation at a church called Ridgetown United Methodist Church. Uh, I'm sure you guys are all familiar with them. They have had a major decision that they have to make. Um, and that decision is uh, they have left, they have decided to leave the United Methodist Church uh, because of the uh, alternative lifestyle issue. And uh, because of that, they have a decision to make, and that decision for them to make is whether they go independent or with a group called the Global Methodist Church. The Global Methodist Church is a conservative arm, if you will, of the Methodist Church, um, and it is a fairly new denomination that's come out. Um, the church has asked questions about what it was like uh, to be independent. We were having some conversations uh, about that, and they have approached us uh, to ask us if they decide to go independent, would we be interested in having a conversation about building something brand new? Uh, meaning we would uh, join with them and become a new church. Uh, now, the uh, issue with that would be that uh, the current pastor is a global Methodist pastor. She will be leaving if they decide to go that route. Uh, so I, will, I would uh, assume pastoral... Uh, that pastoral position. Now, I'm saying all this to you today because uh, we had this official meeting on Tuesday and we live in a very small town and as small towns go, uh, things reverberate through the, <laughs> through the, uh, the community uh, and I wanted to be sure that no one, that all of you heard this from me and didn't hear it from someone else first. Uh, and also a couple things. Number one is that we are not sure that this is a direction we want to go in. Uh, it is a direction that we are exploring. Uh, it is a direction that we are asking and seeking the Lord on whether this would be the right direction for us as a church. Um, we are also asking them to choose whether they would like to uh, go down this path because it is uh, dramatically different. Uh, our, our two styles are not that much different, but they are different in ways, and so there's some things that they would have to uh, change and some things that we would just have to work out together. Um, we will, the plan is uh, for them to make a decision whether they want to go independent or global in the next uh, four to uh, two to four weeks and maybe a little bit longer. And uh, after that time frame, we will then enter in conversations about what it, what it would look like and kind of what it would be like if we would move forward. Now, I am standing here as your pastor telling you that I am not going to uh, lead us down a path that would not help us or be beneficial to us uh, as a church. And what I say that, when I am saying these things, what I am saying is that this would be a plus-plus for the kingdom of God if it works out, Right? There is no bad answers here. And the reason why I say that is because, obviously, they have a beautiful building uh, right across the street from the schools. 
they are a congregation of various uh, similar size than us, uh, but they have been a church that has been established for 200 years. And so uh, with that comes a... uh, (laughs) I was thinking of all the things we were saying. Uh, With that comes some... uh, ways that they have always done things. There's also ways that we have always done things, right? And so we would have to figure out if those two ways merge in nicely together. If they don't, then we wouldn't go forward. If it does, it was something that we would explore. Now, um, I'm also saying this because of two things. Number one is that we will have, if we go down this path, we will obviously have many more meetings than just this. We'll give you an opportunity to have conversations, to talk, to ask me questions, ask us questions about what we see and how this would work. The other uh, reason why I'm saying this is because, quite honestly, um, this is also, we would have to vote as a congregation to move forward on this. This isn't something that we as a leadership team is going to say, yes, we want to move forward in this way. We would ask all of you as regular attenders uh, to vote on this and to decide if this is a path that you would want to go on too and uh, go down that path. It is in its very early stages. I wish I could tell you that this is exactly the way it is going to be, but quite honestly, we don't know which direction they're going to take. Uh, So we're waiting kind of for them to decide which direction they would like to go in, whether they would like to be independent or non-denominational is a better word. I'd rather use that word than independent. Um, I will tell you this. I am excited about what the Lord is doing. The Lord is doing something in the midst of the church, and not just our church, but the church as a whole. And um, this bringing together of two churches to one could be something really special, or it could be something that we just don't go down that path. If it doesn't work to be a blessing for both of us, then it is not something that we will uh, approach. If it's not something that we feel God is leading us down, we will also not approach that. We are only going down this path if we feel that the Lord is leading us to go down that path. And I hope as your pastor and as uh, part of your leadership team here at the church that you would have uh, faith in us to take that step and to figure out if this is the direction that the Lord wants us to go. Now, some of you may be asking what the theological differences are. Uh, There are not very many, to be honest with you. Uh, There are a few uh, that we would have to work out as we go down the path. But understand this again. They are choosing to leave a denomination and become an independent, non-denominational church. And so therefore, those uh, denominational ties and those theological ties that come to that are open uh, for discussion and to move forward. We would not um, lose any of the things that are important to us. That's the very first thing I want you to know, is that if we go down this path, what you experience today would be very similar to what you experience in the future. Now, there could be some changes, obviously. Uh, one of the changes that we <laughs> kind of uh, spoke about a little bit was that they like to say the Lord's Prayer on Sunday uh, during their services. Now, any pastor that has a problem with saying the Lord's Prayer on a Sunday it probably shouldn't be a pastor, Right. Uh, And so that is one of those things that we would have to address as we move forward. That's something that we just choose not to do. It's not because we don't believe in the Lord's Prayer. It's just something that we choose not to do. Uh, And so those are little issues like that that we'll have to work out. Now, what I want you to, the reason why I'm telling you this now is because for two things. Number one is I want you to feel free to ask myself or any of the leadership uh, that's here at this church 
for questions. If you have questions on what this might look like or the process and what we're going through right now, they would be ha- I would be happy, they would be happy to share with you as much as we can at this moment in time. The other thing that I'm asking you to do is pray. Uh, seek the Lord. Because quite honestly, if the Lord is in this, it'll happen. If the Lord's not in this and he doesn't want us to go down this direction, it won't happen. And so we're seeking his direction in this. And we're asking you as a congregation to join with us uh, to seek this. Um, again, I am not at, I'm not at any point where I can say this is exactly how this will look. All I can tell you is that this is something that we will go forward with, pressing to see how the Lord, uh, and how the Lord wants to move in this area. So, uh, with that, I just want to ask you again, keep in prayer for this, please. Keep uh, us as a leadership team, keep them, uh, that church, as a prayer, in, in your prayers as well, too, because they have a big decision to make. It's a big decision. Obviously, they, they uh, took a step to fall or to move away from the United Methodists because of the, um, because of the issue of alternative lifestyles, and uh, that was a big decision for them to make. It's also a big decision for them to walk completely away from the Methodist denomination. That's something that, uh, but I will tell you that one of the things that we hear often from this is that they desire to change. They desire to get younger and grow. They feel like they're not attracting uh, the community, and that's why they have reached out to us uh, because they see us as younger. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, and they seek uh, assistance in, in changing. Um, and so I'm excited for this. I really am. I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do. I am not landed on either side yet because there's no side to land on at this present time. Right now, this is just a discussion, and it's a discussion. We'll continue to move on. And so, uh, again, uh, I wanted to be sure that I, as your pastor, is telling you this, and you're not hearing this uh, in the community from other people. And so that's why I'm bringing it to your attention now. One last thing. Please do not make any rash decisions based upon this conversation. Uh, If you are 100% against it, that's fine. Let me know. Let us know. I mean, we'll have time to have a conversation in the future if this continues to go down this path and we continue to move forward. We'll have time to set as a congregation and ask these questions. Um, But uh, again, please don't make any uh, rash decisions in your mind about one way or another, because quite honestly, this is still up in the air. This is, we're seeking the Lord on this and asking him which direction we're going. And that's what I'm asking all of you to do at the same time is to seek the Lord with me. So with that, let's just enter into a a moment of prayer to ask the Lord to bless this time. And then we'll jump into our sermon today and uh, continue on on our message. So will you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you so much for all that you are and all that you do. Uh, You're an awesome God, Father, and we just thank you so much for how you move in our lives. And uh, Lord, we are asking you here today as we uh, approach this idea uh, of what it might look like in the future if we would uh, decide to go down this path of merging, uh, that you would show us what it would look like, Father. Lord, if it's your will your will and your way, you will direct us in that. And so we're asking you, Father, help us to know without a shadow of a doubt the direction that you would want us to be in. 
Help us to know that this is the direction. This is the way that you would want us to go. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no uh, question about that. But we also believe that you show us the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Father, we are asking you for that direction. Uh, Open our minds. Give us visions and dreams. Give us all of those things that we need to hear from you today, Father, to know that you are guiding us in this uh, situation. We thank you for our friends uh, at uh, Ritztown Church, Ritztown United Methodist Church, Father, and we thank you for what they're doing there now and the decisions they've already made, Father. And but we just ask you that you continue to bless them and and to walk with them, Father, and to help them uh, go down this path that you are calling them to go down. And Lord, again, if it's meant to be, you will. Uh, make that way. So we ask you to make our path straight. Uh, let your light shine upon our path and know the direction of the uh, way that we should go and help us to follow down that path. We glorify you. We honor you. We praise you. Lord, we pray also as we open up your scripture today to, to continue on in the Sermon on the Mount that you would lead us and guide us and direct us in all that you'd want to say to us. Help us to understand these verses today and we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Jeremy, I'm not, unfortunately, getting anything up here. And so you're going to maybe have to control it for me back there. We're going to continue on in a series of sermons called uh, The Kingdom. And today we are going to be talking about what it means to be uh, in the kingdom, what, what it means to live in the kingdom of God. We uh, have been talking for quite a while about what, it is, what the kingdom is, where it's at, and what we're doing, and how to live in that kingdom. But today, uh, what we need to ask ourselves is, how do we live in the kingdom? What is, what is the life of of a kingdom servant, if you will. The life of a kingdom servant is is very interesting here. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' way. You know, I, I uh, was joking because a couple weeks ago, um, I think it was Doreen came up to me and she said, "You're exactly your sermons are right, exactly where we're at in the in the uh, the chosen uh, uh, movie and I, I or, uh, series." And I said, oh, "I haven't got that far yet." And so I went home and I binge watched and caught up. And as I started looking at this, I started laughing and, and saying, yes, it was very much. And then Jody told me the same, Jody Del Savio told me the same thing this past week that I'm there in that same place. And um, it's interesting to see this, but Jesus is sharing to his disciples, but he's also sharing to the crowd that has gathered around him about what to do. And he just gave us, last week we talked about how we can be the salt and the light of the earth. How we can enhance the flavor of the people that are around us. How the salt that we are supposed to be. And then he also talks about being the light and how our light shouldn't be hidden and we should put our light on a hill and let everyone see our light. And, and then we talked about Jesus being the law and how he came not to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. And so we went through all of these things and we talked about these things. And so today we land on these next three issues. But one of the questions I often hear as a pastor that I hear more often than other is, what do I really need to do in the kingdom of God? What do I really need to do? What do I really... See, at the, at the root of the cause, oftentimes you hear people who want to become Christians, but they, at the root of the issue of wanting to become a Christian is they feel like they have to give something up. 
What do I have to give up? What do I have to walk away from, so to speak, is what I hear. And, and oftentimes, is what I said last week, and I'll continue to say that, it's not about what you have to give up, it's what you get. It's the relationship of being with Jesus that matters so much more than anything else that we have. It's not uh, that we should be concerned with what we are giving up. It's what we get from him. But Jesus is very clear also. He starts to enter into some, you know, the salt and the light and the law. He's abolished. He's saying, I, did, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've become to fulfill the law. Those are radical things that he's telling the people who have surrounded him. But then he goes right from saying, I, you need to be salt and light to these three things that we're going to talk about today. There's a couple of things that we have to understand that you must have in a kingdom. First, you have to, in order to have a kingdom, you have to have a king, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. That's Jesus Christ. That is the king. Without a king in a kingdom, what are you left with? Remove king from kingdom and you get dumb, right? Okay. Your pastor will stop being a, uh, a comedian, right? Okay. What we must realize, and I hope that we have through this course of time, is that Christ is the king. He is the king of the kingdom. He is there. And the kingdom is here now. Here and now. It's right here. It's not just when we die and go to heaven. It's there too. But it, Jesus spoke more often about the kingdom being here. And so if he is the king, then the other thing you need in a kingdom for it to operate is servants. Now, I don't have a cute little analogy for that, right? But uh, you need not only, not only do you need a king in your kingdom, but you also need someone that that king can rule over. Those people are his servants. We are called to be Jesus' servants on this earth. Now, a lot of people don't like that word servant. We talked about that a few weeks ago because that, that word servant somehow becomes lower citizen, second class. But really, honestly, we are called to be servants of the Most High, Jesus Christ. So that makes us better than anything else. He made us in his image. He made us in the way he wants us to look. That word servant sometimes comes to be a negative thing, but to be honest with you, we are called to serve God. We are called to be his chosen people. We are called to live out his life and what he has for us. You know, uh, as you think through and you read through scripture, you see Jesus' life and what he did and everything that he uh, took care of here on this earth. But what he honestly did was he left us a manual on how to continue on. That's why the very last thing that he says is to his disciples, Matthew 28, you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again, is go and make disciples of all men and all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to what? Obey right? Teaching him to have the commands to fulfill those things, to share the life of Christ with all of the people around him. Jesus is calling us to do that. He's calling us to be those servants, to go out and do these things. And so these people are gathered around Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is sharing these things. And I'm sure the question is, how do we become the servants that you have called us to be, Jesus? How do we do these things? And Jesus starts with these three things. He talks about three most important things. One is anger, 
One is lust, and one is divorce. <laughs> Those are the first three things Jesus started talking about. Now, if it's if if it all is in curiosity like it is for me, if you think about the three things that we face here on this earth today, that's a main problem in our world today, what do you think they would be? I would name anger and lust as two of them. And then I would also name divorce as one of them as well. And I'll get to reasons why, but anger, lust, and Divorce are an issue, not only was it years ago when Jesus first gave the Sermon on the Mount, but it's also today, in this place today. It's a problem today. We're not much different from what it is. So what Jesus is calling us to do is not only in a kingdom, not, not only do you have to have servants, but you also have to have something else. See, Jesus wants us to have a citizenship in his kingdom. In order to do that, we have to surrender A member of his kingdom is called a disciple, which means surrendering your life to someone else. A member of his kingdom has Christ as the center of their lives, which means that you are surrendering your way. A member of his kingdom follows the words of Christ and is transformed by the power of God. That also means surrender. What Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, I want you to surrender your old way of thinking, what you thought was right, and take on this new teaching that I'm giving to you. That's the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. One thing is for certain that the kingdom is alive and living today, but it takes us to surrender to him to know what it really is. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 21. You have said that it was to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders, you will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brothers will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. (laughs) Wait a minute, let's pause there for a moment, right? You can't read this and walk away and not just say, oh, that didn't happen. What is Jesus is saying in his own words right here, if you call someone a fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. That's a big statement. I don't know about you, but I've called a few people a fool before. Yeah. I mean, I want to be honest with you. I have. We'll have to deal. We'll deal with that in a moment. Okay. Um, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and and they're remembering that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is holding nothing back. Man, he jumps right into it, right? Here he is. Oh, be the salt and the light of the earth. I love, you know, sometimes when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I think, man, how can I, I want to preach like Jesus. I just love you all. You're so great. But you're going to hell if you call someone a fool, right? That's what Jesus does. I mean, he's, he's but he does it in a much loving way, more loving than I could ever do it. But it's amazing to see how he does this. He shares his heart and his love with people, and then he eventually, he goes right for the juggler, though. He holds nothing back. What he's talking about here is this anger, this anger that is coming around us, and this anger that is there. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that anger is in each and every one of us. 
There are these three main issues that Jesus talks about, and the very first one that he begins with is anger, but anger is in all of us. Have you ever got so angry that you lost control of all of your senses? I remember one time when my son, I think he was 15 or 16 years old, and he stood up to his mother and he said something, and it was the first time he felt the oats or felt big enough to stand up to his mother and say something. I was in the other room, and he said something, and it was a smart mouth comment to my uh, wife, and I heard him say this, and the very first thing is I stopped, and I walked up to him, and I got right in his face. And I said, you may think you're big enough to tell your mother what you just said, but you're not big enough to say it to me. Say it to my face. And he did this. (laughs) Uh, Step back. See, the problem of it is, though, at that time, I was so angry. I was, I was like fit to be tied, and I knew that I had to punish my son. I knew that somehow he had to have punishment. Now, in the old days, uh, you have to understand that I, the way I was raised as a child, if I would have ever said something like that to my mother, my face would have been up against the window if we were in a car, because I would have been, you know, slapped out or whatever, right? Of course, we don't raise children in the same way that. Our parents, maybe that's a problem, but that's different. Uh, Different sermon for a different day. But I was so angry that I knew that I could not have this conversation with him at that time because I was out of my mind and I wasn't thinking rational. So I told my son, I said, go to your room. He's like, that's not a punishment. I said, go to your room. We'll have this conversation later. And the reason why I had to send him to his room is not because... It was a punishment. I sent him to his room because I needed to collect my own thoughts. My anger had gotten me to a point. Fast forward now uh, a few uh, uh, 10, 15 years later, and I am uh, at my job. I am working. I get into the office early in the morning. I walk in, and someone meets me right in my office, and she begins to scream and yell at me because of something that our team had done. And here I am thinking to myself, I am about ready to lose control. I don't believe that I've ever, I will never slap a woman. That's not something I believe in. That's not appropriate to do. But man, it came awful close. The anger built up inside of me such to a place that I was squeezing my desk. And underneath my desk, uh, underneath my hand on the desk was a, a pencil that I did not know. And when I got done having this conversation with her and she walked out of the room and I decided to walk out of the room, I looked up and the pencil was in four different pieces because I had crushed the pencil because I'm like squeezing. <sighs> We've all had those moments where anger has taken control of us. And what happens when anger takes control of us is that we don't think rationally. We can't stop and say, oh, i got to be loving the way Jesus Christ wants me to love when I'm in anger, right? Instead, the anger comes out. I can just hear Miss Tanya. Miss Tanya has said this a, a, a few times to me. The hatchet comes out when the anger starts building, right? The cane starts whipping around. Watch out, Chaz. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is we have these times, this issue where anger takes control. Jesus is sharing this with the disciples because he knows that each person in his discipleship, in, this, in his uh, team of disciples, his apostles that are with him, and all of us in this room have dealt with anger before. What does Jesus say? Sin not, uh, he tells us anger is okay, but not to sin, right? Don't let your anger cause sin. In your anger, do not sin. 
Chaz remembers that verse. He must have to dealt with that before. <laughs> Cheddarman, sorry, not Chaz. I'll pick on him too. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we've all been there, right? We've all let our anger cause us to sin. And so what Jesus talks to the, his disciples, what he begins to say to his disciples is, don't allow that anger to cause issues. He says, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. (laughs) I didn't grow up with brothers, so I don't have to worry about this verse, right? No. I grew up with sisters, and I was angry with my sisters many times. Believe me, I still have scars on top of my head from my sisters hitting me over top of the head with bricks and everything else because they were angry with me, you know? Um, But, yeah, bricks. Uh, I'll share the story another day. But, yes, uh, we got into a good fight, and my sister decided to... uh, do something, but let's see. I love her and she loves me, though. Just, just make sure everyone knows that, right? <laughs> he says also that if you call someone a fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. And then he goes into this, uh, he goes into this idea, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother. Why is this so important? Do you understand that the idea, the way that at this time, before Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins, over here is the cross, before Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins, what is the only way that you have your sins forgiven at this time? Is you bring a gift, you bring an offering, you lay it before the church, you bring it to the temple, and either a uh, sacrifice is made or your offering is made to have your sins forgiven. What Jesus is actually saying here is, listen, your offering has nothing to do with your forgiveness if you're in anger. You can bring your offering to church, but and you could set it at the temple, and guess what? It means absolutely nothing because you're still in, you still have anger. You have a problem with your brother, and so what Jesus is saying is that leave that offering at the altar and go and make it right with your brother and sister. So if you have a problem with someone, and if you have a problem, then let, let's be let me fast forward a few thousand years till today, right? If I had to re say this in in I would say, listen, if you have a problem, you come into church, and you have a problem with your brother and sister, you probably should not be worshiping. You should go handle that problem with your brother and sister. Whatever that issue is, you should seek that person and reconcile with that person and then come. Because what are we doing? What do we do every Sunday when we're here? We raise our hands, we sing worship songs. What are we doing? We're offering a gift of worship, an act of worship to God. We're saying, God, you are the greatest. If I'm such the greatest person, I could. then why are you still holding a problem against your brother or sister? Go and make it right with them. What he's actually saying, what Jesus is actually saying in this verse is that your offerings mean nothing if you are still angry at someone about something that has had, has, let me rephrase it, Your offering means nothing if you have an issue with someone. If you haven't reconciled with that person. Reconcile with that person. Make it right. And then you are free to worship God the way that you are intended to worship Him. Now this whole idea about you fool, when Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable in judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. What Jesus is saying here is that, listen, you are the, the word fool here means anger. It's not, you know, we use this, we, our English words don't line up with Hebrew words really well. 
And so when Jesus uses this word fool, what he's saying is that this is in complete anger. He has a problem with him. He's calling him names because of the anger that's inside of him. And so when he's saying that is that he, you have allowed the anger to not only change your concept of and your voice and your language to that person, but you've also forgot about anything else and the anger has caused you to get to a place that you are now sinning in your behavior. And so therefore you are liable to hell because you have not dealt with that issue. That sin has remained in your heart. See, we're good at calling all kinds of sins out, right? Let's be honest here. As Christians, we like to call out all the sins that don't bother us. Right? I know now the pastor, and it gets real quiet when the pastor starts really preaching, right? I I know that I'm hitting a topic because everyone's like, I'm not going to say a word, I'm not going to say a word, you know, be quiet, right? But the truth of the matter is we call out all kinds of people's sin. We call out how bad they other people are. We call about how this alternative lifestyle people, and is that true? Yes, all of those things are sins, and those are things that we have to deal with. But are we dealing with our own sin in the same way that we're trying to deal with other people's sin? If we're not dealing with our own sin, like everyone else's sin, then we have a problem. What we're really allowing is that things to work up inside of us, and we become judgmental. And we begin to judge others. Anger is something that every single one of us in this room has dealt with. And if you're not dealing with this in the light of Jesus Christ and who he is, then you're allowing yourself to walk in sin. And that is no different than if you're choosing to live in an alternative lifestyle or choosing to steal or be an adulteress or be an adulterer or whatever else. Doesn't matter. You're choosing to do the sin thing. If you walk in anger and you have anger with someone else, then you have chosen to sin every single day because Jesus doesn't want you to walk in anger. He wants you to deal with your anger. He wants you to reconcile your anger with those around you so that it doesn't control you. Why? Because sin likes to control. Sin wants to control every element of your life. It wants to wrap you around it and it wants to have its little tentacles spread around you and grasp and squeeze the life out of you. That's what sin does. And so when we allow anger to build up inside of us, guess what? It's not just that person that we become angry with. It's other people that we become angry with. We begin to see the emotions of the person that made me mad in someone else. And then that begins to fester and that becomes, and then we become very not good people to be around. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Come to terms quickly with your anger. Deal with it. I love that Jesus starts out with anger. I love it because this is something that every single person has to deal with. And we're not good at dealing with these things. Why? Because we don't think anger is really that bad. Jesus does. He started out his Sermon on the Mount with the very, this very first thing. You know, he didn't start out with anything else. He didn't start out with murdering. Well, I guess he did because in anger he talks about murder too. But he, didn't, he started the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes and then right into salt and light, being a difference maker, and then talking about anger. Jesus, after telling us to be attractive to the world, immediately goes for the, for the anger issue and says, you have to deal with this. The truth is, Jesus is teaching us that anger will control you and cause you, even in your best attentions, to sin or go sour. It is why he tells us, again, that we have to leave our offer at the church. He's telling us not to let our emotions get to anger. Because when you get angry, 
All rational thinking goes out the door. There is no love and anger. There is no control and anger. I believe the very division that we have today in this country is caused by by Satan himself, and he's allowing that anger issue to build up and cause us to be divided even more. We are not a people that come together out of love. We are a people that come apart out of anger. And that's where I believe Satan has allowed himself to squirrel his way in there, and he's starting to push us away even further. Why? Just think about it. I personally don't like watching news at all, but there's certain news channels that I just can't stand. I turn them on and I'm like, I, want, I try to, I try my best. And then I'm like, I got to turn this off. Why? Yeah, fake news. I don't know, call it what you want. Call it fake news, call it whatever you want. But regardless, I just can't watch it. It makes me angry. And I, allow, I see my anger building up. Now, whatever side of the aisle you, you are on is the truth. It's the same. We, we talk about this, right? Is it CNN or is it, or is it Fox? If you're a liberal, you hate Fox. If you're a conservative, you hate, uh, you hate CNN. Why? Well, because they're dividing. This world is divided on this. And it's not even just division. Now it is anger. Now we're getting angry at people. Have you noticed? I don't know if you've noticed, but there has been an increase of anger issues in this world around us. The fights that are happening. I mean... I, just the other day, I was driving through uh, Ravenna, and I watched this person uh, literally pull out in front of another person. And this guy in his big truck had to slam on his brakes, and he almost hit the guy, hit the lady, I think it was. We pull up to the next light, and the guy in the truck gets out. I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. And I was tempted to pull out my phone and start filming, right? Uh, but then I thought, I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not going to film. And I watched this guy come up to the car and he starts screaming at this poor lady in this car. And I don't know what she's saying, but he's not getting happy. He's not getting. And so he takes his hand and he pounds it on the roof of her car. And that's when I thought, I, I got to get out of the car. You know, so I got out of my truck and I stepped down. I said, sir, get back in your truck and let's just drive away. Leave her alone. And he looked at me, he goes, who are you? And I said, it doesn't matter, just get inside your truck. And he goes, I want to know who you are. I said, I'm a pastor out of a church, and I'm going to be talking about you this Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if he's listening, because I didn't tell him what church I was from, but (laughs) he got in his truck, so (laughs) let's just put it that way. And we drove off, and I kind of followed this poor lady to where I thought she was, you know, she was actually going to Giant Eagle. So I followed her into the parking lot of Giant Eagle and she got out of her car and I just left. And I thought, this guy's not being around anymore. But how many times does it not work out that way? How many videos have you seen where someone pulls a gun or, or punches a window out or does stupid things where they drive each other off the road? That is anger issues. That's because we have allowed our world to get to this place and this division, this anger. Jesus is calling us. Now listen, if you don't think that you can become one of those people, allow anger to build up inside your heart and see where you go. We'd all like to sit here and say, I'm better than that and I won't get to that place. But the truth of the matter is, is if we allow anger to build we will get to that place. The very next thing that Jesus talks about is lust. If you have your Bibles again, turn to verse 27. You have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, every one who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
I wonder why he says his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you will lose, that you lose one of your members than that whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. By the way, do you know that Jesus isn't just talking about an individual person here? Jesus is talking to his disciples as a group of people. Lust is an issue today, my friends. Pornography is an issue today. If you haven't paid attention, roughly 78%, and I think it's higher than that, but I think it's only 78% of the people decided high school students are viewing porn today. I believe it's way higher than that, but that's that's the latest numbers that I have received. Do you know that 45%, this is disgusting, 45% of fifth graders have experienced sexual relationships. Now, I'm not saying intercourse, but what I'm saying is they, they have experienced some type of sexual perversion or sexual relationships with another person. I was at a school uh, two months ago. It was a fourth grade, a fifth grade, a sixth grade school. We asked all the fourth graders, raise your hand if you, actually, let me rephrase it. The way we said it is, do you know of someone that has done something that you should, they should not have done? And you know almost every fourth grader raised their hand. And this one particular boy was like so adamant. He came up to us afterwards and, and he goes, I had someone ask me to do something and I don't think it's right. Can you tell me if I was right or wrong? And what he proceeded to tell me is something that I had to look up on Google because I didn't know what he was talking about. Fourth grade! There is a problem in this world today because we've allowed lust to get a hold of us. Now listen, I want to be very clear to you. I have this definition up here. Lust is said intense or unrestrained sexual craving or an overwhelming desire or craving. Lust isn't just about sex, but it is mainly about sex in our culture today. Lust is an issue today because what do we do? We think that we're okay, but have you ever been dreading? Okay, guys, listen, if you're here with your wife, don't answer this question because I won't get you in trouble, right? But let's be honest. How many of you have been driving down the road like this and go, Right? You shouldn't be doing that. Tanya, don't look at your husband. Right? No. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, is that too many men are not satisfied because they have allowed lust to enter into their hearts. That's why Jesus says he. You understand that? He. In that verse. Lust is something that is going to overtake your life. When you want something more than what you have, that's called lust. When you think your relationship with your wife or your husband should be this, that's called lust. When you think that your husband or wife, is, or if, when you look at someone and you have those thoughts that enter into your mind, Jesus isn't just saying that you acted upon it. He's saying if you even thought about it, If you allowed it to enter into your mind and allowed it to become an issue, it is something that you've dealt with. (coughs) Excuse me. 
the problem of it here that we have is that lust is focusing on pleasing oneself. That's what lust does. Lust doesn't please anyone else. It pleases your own self. You think it pleases your own self. But what it is is a ploy, again, of Satan to get you to want something that you don't have. It traps you in that place of saying, this is what is important to me. This is more, this is better than what I have. And what you're honestly doing when you begin to lust, when you begin to look at something like that, what you're honestly saying is, God, what you have given to me is not, if you're in a marriage relationship at all, lust cannot enter into your mind. Lust shouldn't enter into your mind anywhere, but especially in a marriage. Because when you allow lust to enter into your mind as a, in a marriage, what you're doing is saying, the gift that you have given to me in my wife or my husband is not good enough, and therefore I'm going to lust after something else. So what you're really doing is not only destroying your own mind, but what you're doing is you're thumbing your nose at God and saying, you're not good enough for me, and what you give to me is not good enough. I don't know about any of you, but I don't think that's a path that you want to go down. The problem of it is is that we allow lust to come in many ways. It comes in TV commercials. It comes in books. It comes in movies. There's hardly any movies today. I have a hard time finding anything on Netflix anymore that I can watch. Yes. Yes. There are other options. But... The reason why I bring that up is not because uh, you understand that, you know, every high school student, every middle school student, every elementary student has access to Netflix in their house. Almost. I, I don't know the numbers. I didn't look them up, but I got to imagine they're pretty high. And so if I have a hard time finding something that I, is wholesome for me to watch, What do you think a fifth grader who is dealing with his own hormones raging through his body is going to look at? I bet it's not going to be Charlie Brown. And so what I'm saying to you today is that at a very young age, what we are doing is giving these kids and these people an opportunity to lust after something that they don't even have. And so what happens is as they get older, they have a misconceived notion of what actual intimacy with their wife or husband is going to be like because they have seen something that's completely wrong. And by the way, what happens when you, when you are addicted to pornography? You know what happens? It's as dangerous as drugs because it rewires your mind. The, the very cells of your mind, when you take a drug, it begins to fire in different directions in different ways. What they found out is that when you, are, when you are addicted to pornography, the same exact thing happens. It's just like taking a drug. And so what you are doing is you're not only telling God that what he has given to you is not good enough, what you're doing is you're resetting your mind and you're resetting. At some point, there's going to be an end. We can't continue going down the path that we're at. The reason why we are where we are right now, where there's, uh, I think, the 83, I think is the genders, that there are now officially saying there's 83 genders. Yeah, there's only two, male and female. God created male and female. But, and then there's also now, listen, what, the desire for lust has gone beyond just a intimate relationship with a man and a woman now. It was at one point just a man and a woman. Now it's many different ways, and now it's many different things. And I'll leave it at that because I'm not going any further. Why? Because lust has controlled us as people. 
And it's, again, it's mainly sexual in nature, but guess what? Lust can be something else too. You can lust after something that your neighbor has. And I'm not talking about their wife or their husband. I'm talking about a tractor. <laughs> Bowling balls. <laughs> That's not something I lust after, Cheddar. Sorry, man. Yeah. Lust after their car. Lust after their money. Lust after their house. Hey, Jay, how about their garage, right? No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've never done that before, Jay. Truth of the matter is, is any time that we want something that we should not have or we desire that greater than what God has already given us, then that's called lust. When that desire and overwhelming craving causes you to do things that you should not do, that is called lust. We have to be very careful because Jesus wants us to be thankful for what he has given to us. We have to be learn to be content with what, what we have. Does that mean we can't want greater things? No, but we have to be content with what we have. See, content and lust are very closely tied together. Lust is desiring something and craving something so much that you're willing to do whatever it can take to get there. Being content with something is saying, listen, I'm content with what I have. If the Lord decides to bless me with something more, then great. But I'm content. I'm thankful for what he has given to me. Lust causes us to lose the thankfulness and instead replace it with a desire for something that we should have never had before. Lust and anger are a huge issue in today's world. And I don't, man, I don't have. I'm going to go here just real quickly. The last one that Jesus talks about is divorce. And I want to be really, really... uh, this is a huge issue today, and I, but I'm going to do my best. Verse 31 says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If you're here today and you've been divorced, let, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about this in a moment. But let me just say this. Do you understand why divorce is such a bad thing? Divorce is such a bad thing because of two reasons. Number one, most importantly, it divides a family. If there are kids involved and there is a divorce and happens, what you are doing is you're dividing a family issue. The other problem with divorce is that not only are you dividing a family with kids involved, but what you're also doing is you are taking the element. Marriage was the signified, was was the example of what our relationship with Jesus Christ is supposed to be like. Read Ephesians 4. Paul says perfectly that the union of two people is the mystery of the church and Jesus coming together. Why? Because, listen, in any marriage, it's difficult. If you're in a marriage today, you know it's difficult. You have to work for it. You have to try to become the best husband or wife that you can be. You have to work to do that. And there's this relationship, and there's always this pounding. But guess what happens? I love my wife even when she's not the nicest to me. Right? I'm not going to just abandon her because she woke up on the wrong side of the bed or woke up with bad breath. Don't tell her I said that. But <laughs> no, I'm the one who wakes up with bad breath. The truth of the matter is that we get in arguments. We get in fights. We get in all of those things. And what happens? We learn to love each other even so, even because of those things. Why is that so important? That's so important because that is how Jesus does. We mess up. We sin. We fail Jesus often, and yet he still loves us. He still calls us to be in a relationship with him. 
Jesus understands that when we divorce, what we are doing is we are separating a family. We are also separating the relationship of Jesus and the church. Now, I'm going to say this. Today, there are many people, the divorce rate right now is somewhere around 54%. That means 54% of the couples that get married will be divorced. The average uh, divorce happens within seven years. That means once you get married, you have about seven years. Seven-year itch is real, my friends, let me tell you. What happens after that time frame is that generally people get argued and they begin to fight and the newness of being married wears off. That You're no longer newlyweds. You're no longer honeymooners. You now have to deal with each other and divorce happens. This is true and this is happening. Marriage is work. It takes every ounce of energy that you have. What happens in our world today is that when we begin to fight, what do we do? Oh, just get a divorce. It's easy. Go get a divorce. Our culture, our world, everything, we no longer have anything. Do you know God says in in God, Malachi, the great book of Malachi in the Old Testament, really small book, you know what he says? God hates divorce. Why? Because, again, he knows it's going to be separating other families. It's going to be separating each other. Divorce also allows you to stop. Now, listen, I, I want to be very clear when I say this. Some of you have experienced a divorce in your life already. Some of you have been through that already. Some of you have gone through that life and, and unfortunately have separated, and maybe you've even remarried by now, and that's fantastic. I say to you today, understand this. Jesus died on the cross for grace and love. Jesus died on the cross for you and I to have our sins forgiven. And when he did that, what he's saying to us is that, no, we should not enter into marriage and think of divorce as an option. But if you have experienced that before, you've gone through that opportunity, those time frames, should you understand that Jesus will forgive you? He loves you. He wants to be for you. He wants to be with you. But the problem of it is, is not for, I cannot go back and change history. I cannot come back and change your life and change what you've already done and, and change something that happened 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But what I can do is say, move forward in the right way. Move forward today. If you haven't got married again, if you're thinking about getting married again, understand that this is a lifelong commitment. So pick them right. Right? Understand who you're getting married to. The reason why the divorce rate, by the way, is only 54% right now is because the majority of young people are not getting married today. They're living together instead. Because you know why? It's easier to just walk out of a relationship when you're not married. Even though we make it really simple to get divorced. The simple fact is that divorce allows you to quit easily. Divorce was never intended to be an opportunity. God wants you to be very clear. When God brings two people together... In holy matrimony, two men. Uh, two <laughs> Let me roll it back. Two people, a man and a female, entering into a relationship is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be work. And you must choose to work. You must choose to go forward. Divorce is only, is only an option, according to Jesus, if there's sexual immorality. But even then, God says in Malachi that he hates divorce. He didn't give any uh, qualifiers. He just says, I hate divorce. 
Now, if you're in a marriage and that marriage is unhealthy, what do you do? You don't listen. If you're in an unhealthy marriage and it's causing you harm, get away from that marriage. Get away from that. That doesn't mean that you have to divorce. It means that you separate and you get yourself away. Protect yourself. I don't understand and I wish I could have a chance to speak with ladies who do this, but you don't have to stay with a man who is abusive to you. Please don't do that. Don't stay with a man who is abusive. That is not a Christ-fearing man and you need to get away from that as quickly as possible. Run away if you need to. But I'm not telling you to run into divorce either. See, the hard part about a divorce and hard thing about marriage is that God's calling two people together for a reason. Get away, protect yourself, but then begin to pray that God works on the heart of that person. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a praying husband or a praying wife change the course of their spouse because of what they've done where they decided not to get a divorce, but dedicate their life to praying for that person. In fact, I know someone who's been divorced for 35 years. And they've been praying, uh, I'm sorry, not divorced. They're still married. They don't live together, they live separately. She decided not to have a relationship with anyone else. I can't speak for this other man, but she prays every single day for her husband that he divorced her 35 years ago. Or wanted a divorce, or I should say. Anger, lust, divorce. The three things that destroy marriages and faith around the world. It's not by any stretch of the imagination that Jesus did anger, lust, and divorce. Because guess what happens when you have anger in a marriage? It leads to lust. And guess what? When you have lust in a marriage, guess what happens? That leads to divorce. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying in the process of why he was saying it. When we try to open up the kingdom of God, we have to understand that God is calling us to be different than the world. The world today will tell you it's okay to be angry. The world today will encourage you to be lustful. The world today will tell you it's okay to, be, uh, to get a divorce. What Jesus is saying is don't be like the world today. Be different. Don't get angry. Don't lust. Don't get a divorce. Turn the other cheek, Jesus says. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. It's the angels calling us. <laughs> Do you know that God wants you to walk, Jesus wants you to walk into the kingdom? Jesus knew that we would never be perfect and that's why there's grace. But when you open your heart and mind to the words of Jesus, when you open up to follow him, to do what he has called us to do, then it will lead to a relationship with him. And when you have a relationship with God, he's not only the teacher, but he's God incarnate. You know what that means? That means he has the power to assist you in all of these things. Can you overcome anger in yourself? Sometimes, no, we can't. But guess what? God's there. Jesus is there to help you. Can you overcome lust in in your life? Some people can't. Some people are so addicted to pornography, so addicted to lust, that they can't overcome these things. But you know what? Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came to this earth to give us the power and the ability to overcome those things. That's why he gives gives us the Holy Spirit, to help us, to lead us, to guide us through this. This isn't you going through these things alone. 
This is God with you. You can overcome those things. I want to tell, listen, I know there's a few young men in here and men in general. If you're here today and you're a man, you can overcome pornography in your life. I, I, want, I don't care if you're 19, 20, my goodness, 20, you're 18, right? 19. Yes, you're right. Or whether you're older. I won't ask you for your ages if you're older. That's okay. doesn't matter how old you are. I, I want to specifically tell you this, young men and, and, and men in general. You can overcome pornography. You don't have to listen to the lies of the world. If you're here today and you're married, start looking at your wife as the most beautiful thing that God has ever placed in your life. I can tell you there's not a single person in my life that's as beautiful as my wife. Not one. I don't lust. I don't desire. I don't even look. I got teased about this all the time because we would drive down the road and someone would go, did you see her? And I'm like, see what? You tell me you didn't see that girl in the bikini laying in the middle of the road. Yard, not road. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't see that. I would. I, honestly, I get teased about that all the time. Now listen, what I'm trying to tell you, though, is that you have the ability in Jesus Christ to overcome those things. Don't allow that to happen. Now listen, I'm, I'm speaking primarily to men because we suffer. A lot of men suffer through that. There are women in this place that are suffering, not necessarily in this place, but in the church that suffer through that same thing. God empowers us to overcome those things. You can overcome those things. Stop allowing yourself to fall to that. Make it a point to say, I am done with this. I will cut off my hand if I have to. That's what Jesus says. Cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. Guess what? If pornography is a problem, throw your TV away. Throw your computer away. Unplug it. Do whatever you have to do. Get away from it. Throw your phone away. Do what you have to do to overcome that lust in your life. Will you stand with me, please? I wish I had more time to continue on this, but let's be honest. Anger and lust are a huge issue in our world today. Divorce is a huge issue in our world today. Jesus calls us to be different. Be different. By the power of Jesus Christ inside of you, choose to walk away from these things. Choose not to be angry. Choose not to lust. Choose not to divorce. These are things that you can do. These are the things that allow us to enter in and be the servants in the kingdom of God that he calls us to be. You want to be a servant in God's kingdom? Then walk away from those things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in our midst. We thank you so much, Lord, that you give us the power to overcome lust, to overcome anger, to overcome divorce in our lives today. Lord, I pray right here and right now that there are those that are in this room that are making a decision right here, right now, to say, I am turning off the pornography. I am turning off the lust. I am going to walk away from the anger because those are not things that you called me to do. Those are things that will kill me if I allow them to. Father, I pray that you would be speaking. Holy Spirit, move amongst our hearts right now. Lord Jesus, in the way that only you can do, convict us of these things and help us to come to a saving knowledge of you that we can look up and say, Lord, I want to be in your kingdom. And so therefore, I want to follow what you said. 
and I'm walking away from these things. Not in my own power, but in the power that you give to me. You can overcome all of those things. Jesus, help us today. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for falling to these temptations. Forgive us for being angry. Forgive us for being lustful. Help us to walk in your light, Father, and in your way. Help us to walk as your servants, serving you in everything we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. I know it's been a long uh, message, but I just want to say that these altars are open for you. If you want to deal with these things, if you want prayer, we'd love to have an opportunity to pray with you. We'd love to have an opportunity to just lift up yourself to the Lord. I know there are private conversations that sometimes have to be had when we talk about these issues, and that's fine. If you need to talk about these things, if this has brought something up, then contact me. Contact Pastor Chaz. We would love to have an opportunity to discuss with you. If you don't want to discuss here and open, let us know. You have the ability to overcome these things. You can overcome these things. If you walk with the Lord, let's worship together. Are you burning and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Welcome to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling In the sorrows and truth and joy From the ashes of new life is born Jesus is calling Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was done with the 
precious blood of Jesus Christ. this earth to speak to us about the truth and even when it's not fun and it's not easy you still speak the truth to us Lord we thank you for your ways that are beyond our ways we thank you for your leading that is beyond our understanding we ask you Lord today that as we begin to prepare to depart from this place that you would walk before us that you'd walk with us Help us to be your servants in the kingdom of God all around us, that our communities could change, that our families could change, because we choose to follow you. Help us, Lord, in this place to be all that you have called us to be, and so much more. We love you, Lord. We glorify you. We honor you, and we praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. We look forward to seeing you again next week.